Okay, we are back with another edition of Basketball 201. It's me, Jared Morris. I'm joined by Ben Ladner, as I always am here on Basketball 201. You know, Ben, we were just talking. We had to skip last week's because your internet went out, then my internet went out. It was just kind of <laughs> kind of crazy. But the last time we talked, Indiana was still in the midst of their losing streak. It was before the Wisconsin game. Since then, Indiana has reeled off four straight victories. So quite a turnaround since the last time we did one of these. Yeah, literally the day of the Wisconsin game, we we did a two hundred one. I don't don't even remember. It was the Iowa game uh, and Purdue. I think we lumped yeah. in one episode, and it, I thought they played all right in those two games. But it is it is nice, you know, that they finally gotten some wins. You know, there's actually some more interesting stuff to talk about, and obviously with the Big Ten tournament coming up, um, you know, there's there's obviously a lot to go into. So, uh, yeah. So we're going to talk about that Wisconsin game, and you want to talk about some of the transition offense, right? Yep. Okay, and then we'll also, we're going to uh, go watch another clip from the Ohio State game from before, talk a little bit about that, and then at the end, we'll kind of wrap everything up, because uh, I kind of want to get your general thoughts on Indiana's offense and some of the improvements that you've seen, because you, you know, I don't know if you've necessarily been critical, but you've been, you know, a little worried at times about yeah. what Indiana was doing offensively, and so I'll be interested to hear what your thoughts are on on kind of what Indiana's offense has done that's kind of gotten everybody excited heading into the Big Ten tournament. But let's start with uh, with the clips and reflect back on that Wisconsin game, which is when everything everything started getting turned around a few games before, but that actually led to a victory. So really got the turnaround going. Sure, yeah. So um, this, this one comes from the first half of that game, about 13 and a half minutes to play. Uh-oh, did we lose because you're going to see just kind of the tail end of it where Rob Finnessy uh, is, is kind of bodying up Brad Davison here on the drive, using his strength uh, to really kind of stay in position and prevent. You're going to see Davison is just going to kind of be knocked backwards. And it's not because Finnessy fouls him. It's just because he's, he's so strong. He kind of uses his chest, forces the missed layup, and then the Indiana starts running. So we'll see that here where Finnessy just goes straight up. Morgan grabs the rebound and they get out in transition. Now, because Davison kind of fell out of bounds, Indiana obviously has kind of this five on four advantage with, you know, one guy running the right side, two guys, Romeo Langford and Al Durham on the left, Rob Finnessy bringing it up. Jawan Morgan's the trailing big man. This is a fairly typical kind of fast break offense. Sometimes you'll see this big guy run straight to the rim uh, as opposed to going out on the wing. But at any rate, Justin Smith kind of spreading the floor here. And what that does is it kind of puts Wisconsin uh, you know, in this situation where they can't really match up with everybody. So they do their best to kind of take away the ball. And you can see number 23 here is trying to match up, but there's just no one else over here to take him. Ethan Happ, you know, can't really leave his post here in the in the lane. Otherwise, Jawan Morgan's just going to dive right to the basket for a layup. So Fennessey just kind of gets the ball ahead very quickly. And they Indiana obviously recognizes they have this five-on-four advantage. They go over to Romeo Langford, two-on-one, quick swing to Al Durham in the corner. And he gets an open three, uh, fairly simple kind of straightforward, basic play. But, you know, it, we didn't really see much of that early on in the year because I think, I think Indiana and Archie Miller in particular was a little resistant to taking quick threes, quick jumpers, that kind of thing. I think he really wanted to work the offense and, and really run through sets and kind of, you know, make, make his team work for baskets or at least see them do that. And I think in the last couple of games here, you've started to see them be a little bit more opportunistic offensively, particularly in transition, you know, they're getting the ball, they're pushing it ahead. Even if they're not scoring directly on the fast break, they're kind of using those first five, six seconds of the shot clock where the defense isn't really set 
to try and just see what they have. They're, they're, they're pushing, they're probing. And then if there's nothing there, they pull it back out. They run their offense. They'll do a post up, a pick and roll, throw Romeo Langford, something. But, you know, this is something they didn't do early in the year was this idea of, of selective running, like running selectively in transition and just kind of looking for what you have. And that's sometimes slow teams who, you know, more methodical teams don't really want to do that. They want to get into their offense. They want to run their sets. But I do think it's beneficial just to kind of get the ball up ahead as quickly as possible, take a look around, see what you have. And if there's something there, you take it. If not, great. And you, you go right back into your offense. Uh, but that, that game, I think the Iowa game was when I really first started to notice them doing that. And Archie Miller's been making a point of, of trying to, to get out in transition and run quickly over the last few weeks here or so. And I think against Michigan State, against Wisconsin, Iowa, I mean, even a little against Purdue, not quite so much, but just these last few games here, they've really done a nice job just getting the ball out ahead and kind of taking what is available in those early seconds of the shot clock. And that has coincided with what? With Rob Finnessy kind of getting back and feeling like himself again. Because, you know, to your point, I do think Indiana was hesitant at times to do it early. Although we did, you know, see it some as as Rob kind of started to get a little bit more comfortable. And Archie, at a minimum, has paid a lot of lip service to it. He's talked a lot about wanting to run. So I agree he doesn't always like early threes, but he does like to run and push the pace. And I think the one thing that has become quite clear you know, last year, Indiana didn't really have anybody that was very good at leading the break. They just didn't have very good point guard play. Josh Newkirk was okay at it, but not great. And this year, there is such a stark contrast between Rob Finnessy leading any kind of break and anybody else. Because he is decisive, he's confident, and he recognizes what's happening. You know, Romeo, for all of his gifts, is very tentative in fast break situations. Al Durham is also tentative leading them. He's pretty good finishing them. Like, he's great running the wing. Um, And Devontae Green, at times, seems caught between, do I go for the home run play? Do I try to make the easy pass? And sometimes it leads to indecision and bad shots on his part. So when Rob was out and when he was kind of getting himself back and being very tentative, you saw Indiana not be very effective in these situations. Now that Rob is back playing like Rob, you have a guy that can lead it with confidence. And it feels like everybody in the transition situations kind of feeds off of his confidence. But when it's anybody else leading it, it's like, oh my God, what are we going to (laughs) do? You know, because they don't look confident. Like you got to be decisive in transition. Everybody, because you don't, you know, you don't have that long where you've got numbers or where you've got the advantage. That to me has been just the most obvious change in Indiana offensively that, that Rob has brought to the table since he's gotten back in rhythm. Yeah. I think he allows them to get downhill a little bit more often. I think he's the best guard on the roster in terms of just getting in a straight line toward the basket. Uh, you know, Romeo is, is a little more methodical, almost like a running back who likes to kind of, you know, s- chop his feet behind the line, wait for something to open up and then attack when he finds a hole. Uh, you know, Durham is, is, he's actually pretty good kind of just taking one or two dribbles, getting the basket. But I don't think he's quite as strong as, as Finnessy is. And then Devonte green is, is kind of, he can be all over the place. Sometimes he wants to cross you up, you know, kind of change directions, be shifty, things like that. Um, you know, Rob is just really good at just getting his, his shoulders turned downhill attacking. And he's got such great strength. Like I mentioned, combine that with quickness and it's really hard to keep him from just getting and, and putting his head down, going to the basket. Um, and, and the best time to do that is in transition because you're bringing the ball from one end of the court to the other. You're already running, you're already in motion. And so the easiest time to get going downhill is on the fast break when you can just kind of keep running as opposed to you know, having to go from a standstill, having to work the ball around and find an opening, maybe manufacture it. They're kind of built in on the fast break. And especially when you have numbers advantages, like in that last clip, 
uh, it, it's really easy just to kind of find those scenes. And uh, one one clip that kind of stands out to me from the last few games or so of, of Finnessy's impact is one I, I did after uh, on our last episode after the Iowa game, the first possession of that second Iowa game where Finnessy comes down, goes right into a pick and roll with Deron Davis within like, you know, two seconds of the shot clock or something. And then because of that, Iowa wasn't set on defense and they had no, no, no help at the rim. And Deron Davis just went straight to the rim for a layup and an and one. And that's the kind of thing, just getting into your sets quickly. Again, it doesn't have to be a, a fast break pass. It doesn't have to be a, a wide open corner three or a, a dunk or an alley-oop at the rim. It's just playing with pace and being able to get into your sets early in the possession so that you have as much time as possible and you're kind of able to run sets with pace. So it doesn't have to be, you know, like the the pure transition, easy buckets kind of thing. It can just be running your offense with more purpose. And I think fantasy allows them to do that. Yep. Agreed. Next clip is also from the Wisconsin game. It's another example of transition offense. It's also going to be an Al Durham three, but they generate in a little bit different way. And I actually did pull the defensive um, possession from the, from the play before on this one, because it's really impressive. And there are a few things to note here as well. This is another thing I think has, has just changed for Indiana is the defensive intensity. We talked about it at the, you know, from the Purdue game, just their ability to stay attached to guys coming off of screens, their ability to stay uh, attentive off the ball and kind of lock into each possession, helping each other. The help defense has been much better being in the right position, kind of tying everything together as a five-man unit rather than having one or two guys who don't really seem to know where they are. It actually, so, and it hasn't been as good the last two games. And it's yeah, something to true. watch out for, I think, because if it, and Archie talked about this, you know, if the offense struggles, you got to be able to lean on that defense. And it sounds like something that he's been preaching because it was easy to yeah. overlook that in the Illinois and Rutgers games. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't as connected as what we'd seen before. Yeah, I think that Purdue, Wisconsin, Michigan State run was maybe the best three game stretch of defense they've played, you know, since at least like December, maybe, maybe yeah. even all season. But what you'll see here is Wisconsin, you know, they love to be methodical, run their sets. They're going to enter the ball to the high post to look for this post up here. Notice on this possession, really multiple people do it here. Uh, and, and this was a theme all game is just denying Wisconsin position. You know, Khalil Iverson wants to catch this ball at the charge circle. Romeo Langford battles. He fights over, he denies the pass. And look, I mean, even if Iverson had gotten this entry pass, he's already way outside the lane when he catches it. And that makes a big difference because you look where he started. He wants the ball right here at the charge circle and he ends up out here outside the lane. So that's good. Good job by Romeo Langford, who actually uh, got beasted by Iverson a couple times in this game down low, just didn't really match his physicality. I thought on that play, he did a really good job. Race Thompson too was really good. Just forcing Ethan Happ off of his spots, making him catch the ball maybe two steps out from where he wanted to, but that makes a big difference. That That is an under-discussed tenet of the pack line defense. Yeah. You know, that that's one of the things that, you know, like when you look at, you know, kind of how Virginia plays their pack line defense, you talk a lot about what happens on the perimeter, but that often doesn't get talked about enough is the box around the basket in the lane that the players are supposed to keep guys out of from catching right. the ball. That's a great job there by Romeo. And so meanwhile, on the weak side, you've got Brevin Pritzel running off a flare screen here, Al Durham, you know, gets over it, stays attached to the body. Jawan Morgan, you know, this is this is not all out help, but he kind of just stays in position here in case there is a backdoor pass. Ethan Happ's not a shooter, so Jawan's able to just kind of lay off of him, take away this backdoor until Al recovers. Then Jawan's going to step up closer to Happ and deny the ball. What you're going to see here is is a really nice job by Jawan Morgan, not allowing Happ to get to the baseline, kind of spin around. He had a couple plays here where he got on the block and he was able to spin baseline, put his guy on his back and finish on the other side of the basket. Juwan's going to take that away from him, slide his feet, 
They go into the post up. And he said, again, good slide by Jawan taking Hap's shoulder away. And then you're, you're going to see what's called, I guess, you know, sometimes referred to as kind of a blind side double team where you force your guy one way and you bring the help from the other direction. And so Hap doesn't see this coming, obviously, because he's looking at the baseline. But when he turns around, Justin Smith is going to be right on his shoulder. And that forces kind of an, an errant pass. And Indiana does a really nice job here. You'll see the double team come. And Al Durham is going to close out on Justin Smith's man. This is called an X out where Durham's going to close out on, uh, on Nate Reavers here, who's a, a decent shooter. So, you know, he warrants kind of this closeout, but a good job under control gets in the passing lane. Uh, Wisconsin's just going to swing the ball around, but Indiana is really scrambling, really doing a good job closing out on shooters. Rob Finnessy is going to come up, take away the shot. They swing it to Brad Davison. You're going to see Romeo Langford come up and take away this shot. And then basically he drives, and, and kind of, you know, Wisconsin has an advantage here, but Jawan Morgan's just going to make a really good individual play, get his hand in the passing lane, and they're going the other way. Now, watch and transition here. Again, you're going to have one guy running the left side. You're going to have a rim runner, Justin Smith, right here. Al Durham, Romeo Langford filling the lanes. And keep an eye on Smith. He's the most important player in this sequence because what he does is he sprints all the way to the basket. And because Indiana's got that numbers advantage, what you're going to see is Nate Reavers Right here, he can't stay with Justin Smith and Al Durham. And Jawan Morgan sees that. And so he knows that if Reavers comes up to take away the three for Durham, it's going to be Justin Smith cutting to the basket. If he stays with Smith, Al Durham's going to walk into an open three. And that's exactly what happens. Yeah, that was beautiful. And that was, you know, I talked about guys not other than Rob Finnessy not being decisive in transition. Jawan Morgan was there. And that's part of the reason why yeah. it worked. And I tell you, Al has really become comfortable taking that transition three, you know, just off the pass, quick release, which is not something we saw a lot from him last year. It took him a lot longer to get his shot off. But the fact that he's got that quicker release and more confidence, he's really able to take that shot. And I don't think that's a great shot for a lot of guys on Indiana's roster. Maybe just he and Devontae Green. Uh, and I suppose, you know, Rob Finnessy, you wouldn't mind him taking that. But that's, uh, that's a shot Indiana can get, especially in those situations. So I hope to see Al continue to take those. Yeah, and it's a shot like that, like I said earlier, that they should take because when you get those, you know, those early looks in transition, what are the odds that you're gonna get a better shot than that over the course of a possession? If you turn down that shot, you're probably not gonna get a more efficient look in the next 30 seconds of the shot clock than the one that Durham got there. So I think it's just kind of it's having more at once, it's having discretion and being a little bit more aggressive and, and risk taking because you know, if you just kind of hold the ball and wait for a perfect shot to come, that's not always going to happen. And so I think Indiana's done a really nice job just kind of recognizing that an open three in transition is a pretty good shot. You know, the defense is going to have a tough time contesting that. And you look at just kind of points per possession, it's a pretty good value proposition proposition uh, if you can get that kind of shot in transition. So I think they've been a little bit better about being opportunistic in taking those shots and just realizing, you know, what value they can have. And if you miss it, you miss it. But I think those are high-value shots that they should be taking more often. And if you miss it and you're a moderately good offensive rebounding team, it's probably a long miss with the defense not in position to box out. Right. So it's a more likely offensive rebound. So I agree with you. I think that is a place where Indiana, with the right situation, the right guy taking the shot, can take a few more of those early early threes like that. Yeah. We'll go to a clip here from Ohio State. And again, if, if you want to kind of go deeper into that game, we looked at how Ohio State used Indiana's defense. <laughs> 11 to 2 with 14 minutes left in yeah, the game. Yeah, this was a rough in the one. first half. <laughs> um, we, we talked about oh, how geez. Ohio State used Indiana's defense against it uh, over the course of that game with a couple plays that I thought were really well designed by Chris Holtman. He, he did a nice job in this game. 
Um, that that's one thing actually that I'll be interested in seeing is Indiana recently has kind of they haven't abandoned the pack line, they haven't abandoned hedging, but they're a little less aggressive in bringing the big guy all the way out on the floor in the pick and roll. Which you know, if you've watched the show before, I've advocated them to do that the entire season. Uh-oh. I think it's nice to kind of see them start doing it. It helps that they have a guy like Rob Finnessy who can just stay attached to his man all the time. And he doesn't really need that help on the hedge. I think Devontae Green is actually decent at that when he really engages. Uh, Al Durham, I think, is really good at staying attached to guys' hips. So they've got some guards that can get over a screen. And what that allows you to do is play more of a drop coverage where you know Indiana's never going to be like a you know a Milwaukee Bucks, Brooke Lopez, drop him all the way back at the charge circle kind of team. But you know they, they, they've, they'll bring Jawan Morgan maybe to the level of the screen and not bring him all the way out on the floor, but just kind of make sure he's there to help if he needs to, but also in position to recover if he needs to. And hedging doesn't really allow you to recover in quite the same fashion. And so I'll be interested, this doesn't have anything to do with this particular clip, but if you want to go back to the last episode we did on the Ohio State game, if Indiana is quite so aggressive on defense, because again, Ohio State was able to kind of use that against the Hoosiers and draw up some plays that exploited that. And I think being a little bit more conservative on defense maybe takes away some of those seams that Ohio State was able to generate. Is it fair to say that you're able to be more conservative with your scheme in that sense because you're more comfortable with your guard being more aggressive in his man-to-man defense? Like you said, I mean, if those guys can get through the screens and contain without the help, then you can be a little bit a little bit more conservative with what you do with the help guy. Yeah, I think so. And, and that's kind of the idea behind the drop coverage is that you're you're basically relying on that guard to get over the screen as quickly as possible and not allow his man to get too much separation because – you know, we've seen before plays where like Jawan Morgan will come out and drop and he doesn't hedge, but because the guard is behind the play, you know, the ball will basically move 10 feet along the perimeter. And then the big guy is open at the spot where he set the screen and there's no one to help. Uh, so you really do need those guards to get over the screens. But like I said, Indiana's got some guys who can do that, particularly Rob Finnessy. And I've got a piece coming out on him tomorrow where I kind of go into this a little bit more where he is one of the best point guard defenders I've ever seen in terms of just getting over screens and staying attached to his man. I mean, it's unbelievable how well he fights over screens and gets into his guy uh, and stays attached to his hip at all times. It, it's amazing. And that's been a really big key, I think, for him. Just getting, getting back in the lineup, getting back in the flow of things has really helped turn Indiana's defense a little bit. Um, and like I said, they will still bring some big guys up to hedge. You know, you'll see Justin Smith come out and, and, and show high out on the floor, but it's guys like Deron Davis, Jawan Morgan. They're not bringing them so high out on the floor, which I think is good because it allows them to protect the rim a little bit easier, allows them to be in position, you know, to get back to their man, to help on a, on a drive, what have you. So again, uh, just something I'll be watching for in that Ohio state game. And then depending on what Indiana does, how does Ohio state respond? Um, that kind of thing in this particular, uh, play, this is an offensive set for Indiana. So we'll kind of switch into the floor here. They're going to enter it to Deron Davis and Ohio state really made a point of trying to use their size, their physicality uh, and and Indiana's lack of shooting against Indiana. So this was at the point in the season where Indiana just didn't have any reliable shooters. I mean, this was kind of during that, uh, you know, Purdue stretch where where that first Purdue game where, you know, the Boilermakers just weren't guarding guys like Justin Smith, Rob Fennessey, just inviting them to take jump shots. Ohio state did a similar thing. And so instead of kind of sticking tight to shooters, they applied a lot of pressure to Jawan Morgan and Deron Davis. When they, caught, when they caught the ball in the post, they sent double teams. They really tried to deny position and be physical with them on the block. I think that's one reason why Jawan Morgan struggled in this game. But here, we're going to see Indiana kind of you know, beat, beat uh, Ohio State at their own game in some sense, where they're going to 
use that double team and make a good decision out of it to generate an open three. So we're going to see Deron Davis get the post and immediately it's a double team. Juwan Morgan is open because CJ Jackson is guarding Romeo Langford over here and he has to make this rotation. He hasn't done it yet and Morgan's going to cut along the baseline, but Deron Davis being the good passer that he is, is going to fake that pass. CJ Jackson bites and that opens up the cross court look to Romeo Langford wide open catch and shoot threes. Those are the shots that Indiana needs to hit. I mean, they, they just have to hit those shots. If Ohio State, and really if anyone, is going to send double teams that hard and that frequently against the big guys, there's going to be someone open and Indiana needs to find them and they need to hit those shots. And, you know, credit Morgan for making a nice cut here, kind of drawing the defender away from Romeo Langford and then getting, you know, looking for position on the offensive glass. Uh, I, I think that's an area, especially because Deron Davis and Jawan Morgan are such good passers. I think that's an area that they can be really effective, whether it's Justin Smith cutting along the baseline, Romeo Langford and Rob Finnessy spotting up for three, you know, any sort of situation that you can, where you can pass out of the post. I think that's going to be something that Archie Miller will kind of, well, I, I would assume put in the game plan and really practice um, just finding those guys out of the post ups and making sure that they have weapons beyond their bigs, because I would expect at least to start, I would expect Ohio state to try to take away Indiana's big guys first and foremost yeah I'm sure they'll make us prove that we can make shots you know but as that clip showed like movement matters movement off the ball matters and we saw it a lot in some of the clips that you showed before about Purdue's offense and why it's so good it's because guys are in motion guys are moving and there's a chemistry about it and I feel like that's what we've seen more from Indiana lately is you know and to a certain extent it's understandable because you know, it's hard to move with enthusiasm yeah. when you feel bogged down and you expect the possession to end in disaster, which is how it felt like Indiana was playing offense for a long time. Right. But when you start to build that confidence, you just you see guys. It's like they see more opportunities to move and do things. And when you have everybody playing like that, it changes the complexion of what you're doing. So, mm. you know, that was, I mean, easily one of Indiana's worst offensive performances. But it feels like you know, a month later, like it's a completely different team that's going to take the court at the Big Ten tournament, which is part of what makes following college basketball, and I'm sure it's like this in the NBA too, so bewildering and exciting is that yeah. the team that you have one day is not necessarily going to be the team that you have two, three weeks from now, you know, because guys' yeah. mindsets change and wrinkles get added and confidence shifts, and that's what we've seen from this team, which is, yeah. you know... And it's yeah, really good. amazing, too, when you think about just like the state of despair that so many fans were in during that losing streak. You know, I mean, it really it really seemed like there was just no recourse. It seemed like there was no way that they would ever be good ever again. And like everything was terrible and there was no fix to anything that was broken. And and like you said, here we are like a month later and and things are, you know, they're not Indiana's not like this elite team, this, this dominant offense or anything, but. They look. They just look so much fresher, so much you know, livelier on that end of the floor, and yeah. it's really incredible just how much they credit Archie Miller. You know, as as someone who's been critical of both his offense and defense at times before, you know, credit where it's due. He's really done a nice job, kind of finding solutions, looking at you know, kind of taking stock of his team and of his system, and making the necessary tweaks to kind of get guys in position to be more effective. So I think he's done a really nice job there, and to the players too for kind of bringing that buy-in and, and the aggressiveness and, and the intensity when the season was almost lost, they could have easily given up and they kind of stayed the course and stayed locked in. I think a big part of the reason for that despair was that you could kind of group the issues into two categories. There were the obvious issues that every single fan could see and were the most frustrating, which was 
the injuries, and the attitude. Yeah. All fans can see that, regardless of their level of basketball sophistication. You can see that, and you understand that it's an issue. Then there was the other category of issues, which is like, you know, why are we running an offense or Romeo standing in the corner? You know, why is everything getting bought? And I would put in the other category shooting yeah. as well. That's been an issue, but we know it. Right. But, but then you've got this tactical stuff where it's like, you know, should we be less aggressive on ball screen? Should, you know, and all this stuff where it's like, you know, for most fans, you hear that and you understand it, but it's like, I don't know. I'm not in practice and I feel like they should be right. doing something, but I don't know exactly what it is. And so you have seen some of those changes, but I think what has turned around the faith of Indiana fans is it's like, oh yeah, it matters when you have your full roster healthy and you've got guys healthy and the attitude shift for, you know, for some guys has been a complete 180. And Archie yeah. gets a lot of credit for that too, because he changed the way that he was doing things and, you know, did some things that basically got guys on the same page or else. And, you know, that clearly has worked. So, you know, I think that that's why the despair was there because it felt like the stuff we can see isn't changing the stuff that we can't really see isn't changing. Let's just get to the end of this godforsaken season, you know? But, but you know, then you started to see it little by little, and now these last four games, it's really culminated in good offense. And, and now, you know, you're really to a point now where you say, okay, if you can play offense the way you've been playing it these last four games and get the defense back to where it was against Purdue and, and even in this Ohio State game and, and against Michigan State, boy, you got a chance to really do something. And I just... You know, a lot of us had lost hope that we'd get back to this point and see that team from earlier in the season. But that's what's made these last four games so refreshing and so rewarding to watch. Yeah, and it's funny, too, that like their their kind of offensive turnaround. Romeo Langford has kind of not taken a, a back seat or a step back, but he, he isn't they're not force feeding him as much as they were. And it's funny yeah. that, like, you know, maybe the key or one of the keys to kind of turning things around was running less through your star player, which is a little counterintuitive, obviously, but I, I guess it just shows goes to show that there's a balance with these things, right? You, you can't run an offense where Romeo Langford just stands in the corner and doesn't move, but you also can't run an offense where he just gets the ball at the top of the circle every time and tries to run a pick and roll with no other action around him, right? You need yep. to kind of merge the two. You need to use him as an off-ball threat, but also put the ball in his hands enough that you're getting the right amount of value because he can do so many wonderful things with the ball in his hands. But that can't be the only thing that you do. You know, same with Juwan Morgan. You can't post up Juwan Morgan every time, but you can use him as a weapon in the post to kind of complement and unlock other weapons. And so, I, again, I credit Archie Miller a lot for kind of finding ways to do that, finding ways to get all of the different weapons and, and threats that we've seen offensively at different points in the year and kind of getting them to work together and getting all guys to, to be able to contribute at the same time, I think the balance that we've seen from IU has been particularly impressive. Just the amount of threats it seems like they have. It just never felt like they had more than three guys at a time at any point this season before, you know, maybe a week or two ago. It never felt like they had more than three guys that were capable of doing anything at a given time. And now it's, you know, it feels like they have four or five. And, and I think health is a big reason for that. You know, Jerron Davis, Rob Finnessy, both getting back, both becoming healthy again, kind of getting right. But it, it just feels like they have so many more weapons and they're able to deploy them in a way that creates a really nice balance for the team. Do you have more clips? That's all I got. Okay, so I will say, I'll put in the show notes um, and in the YouTube notes as well, uh, once I get done here, the link to the last one that we did on Ohio State. That would be good viewing as you head into this Ohio State game. Obviously, as we've talked about, this is an entirely different Indiana offense now. I can't imagine that Chris Holtman... And I'm sure he's going to watch film of that game. It'll be instructive. 
he'll remember how sharp the Indiana uniforms looked because, man, those uniforms really did look good nice. that day. Um, but he's also obviously going to have watched the last few games. Right. And watched the the change. You know, one of the big things that Ohio State did in that game was it's like, hey, Justin Smith, we're not guarding you because you can't shoot and you're uncomfortable when you have space. So go to it and we'll use that other defender to clog up the lane and make life difficult on Romeo and on Juwan. Now, they may still try that and they may force him to make shots. But he, to me, is a big X factor for Indiana in this game, because if we see the Justin Smith that we've seen, which is the breakout Justin Smith that we expected at the start of the year, a dynamic player on both ends of the court who, when he's involved offensively, it really seems to pick up his defense as well. He's a big difference maker in this game. I think if we get good Justin Smith, we win this game. And I think if Justin Smith, it's not going to be that simple, of course, but right. if I had to boil it down to like a player, kind of a factor, and I, I trust the other guys to bring, you know, at least their regular game, Justin Smith to me is the big key for Indiana because I thought he was a big X factor in that game in a negative way. Yep. But now I think we all have more confidence that he can be that in a positive way in this one. Yeah. I mean, he's a huge difference maker. Just ask Tom Izzo. You know, um, (laughs) whether Tom Izzo will admit it or not. (laughs) Oh, he'll admit it. He won't be happy about it, but he'll admit it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, mean, it's that's kind of been the story all year. Right. I mean, ever I feel like ever since that Purdue game, the first Purdue game, when he hit a few shots, you know, had his his big first breakout, I guess. um, And then after that, just couldn't really hit much. Wasn't really effective on offense. I I expect that's what we'll see kind of moving forward here as as each game kind of has more stakes. For, for not just for IU, but for their opponents. Um, I think the least of all evil evils, if you're guarding Indiana, is giving up a Justin Smith three or, you know, a Justin Smith mid-range jumper or making him work out of the post and kind of taking away Indiana's other players. And so I, I agree with you. I think if he can hit shots, I mean, it doesn't even have to be three threes again. If he hits, you know, a mid-ranger and a three and just makes teams guard him, that's a, that's a big difference maker. Now, it will be interesting if he does make some shots if, if opponents will just continue to not guard him and say, we're going to play the percentages, we're going to let you fire away, even if you make a ton. Now, if he makes like five or six, then that probably changes things, but I'd be surprised if that happened. Um, so I, I do think that at this point in the season, if I were a coach, I would just let him shoot. Even if he's going to make two out of three, I would just keep letting him shoot because you play the percentages, you stick with the numbers, um, and you know how dangerous Romeo Langford, Jawan Morgan, Rob Finnessy are, uh, and you take away those guys first and foremost. Now, whether they'll double as aggressively on guys like Deron Davis, even Jawan Morgan in the post, I think is something to be to be watched. Like I said uh, in that that uh, I guess third clip we showed, where you know you're probably not going to help off Romeo Langford from three at this point in the season. You could in that first game because he was only shooting like 23. percent Rob Finnessy is is I think recovered fully from his concussion and he's shooting the ball a little bit better uh, and with confidence. I don't think you can leave him quite as easily and. You know, beyond that, we'll see how many shooting threats Indiana has. Maybe one guy gets hot. Maybe it's Justin Smith. Maybe it's Evan Fitzner. Uh, I'm not totally sure. But, yeah, I, I do think Smith is an X factor, not just because of his offense, but the defense. You know, his, his defensive effort and, and execution, I think, has waned a little bit here in the last week or so. And that's quietly been, you know, it, it's been buried underneath all the winning. But I think that's been, you know, maybe a, a subplot of Indiana's season that they need to kind of turn around a little bit, get him re-engaged on the defensive end. Um, and, and uh, you know, especially if you play Michigan State again, you really need that guy to show up. One, uh, one other thing that I want to talk about as it relates to this Ohio State game, and it's a guy that I'm concerned about, 
is Arns off the bench for Ohio State. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I'm, I mean, look, I'm obviously concerned about CJ Jackson being anywhere near yeah. the ball in a close game at the end. You're <laughs> concerned about Caleb Wesson, you know, because he's a good player. Although, you know, I wonder with a guy like that, who's had foul trouble and conditioning issues, you know, yep. him coming back his first game, I would be very worried if I was an Ohio State fan, you know, I would and, go right at him if I'm Indiana. I, I would go I would, Morgan. I would too. Yep. I would too, because, you know, sometimes your timing is a little off and, and especially big guys and they can get in foul trouble early. So that concerns me. But the type of player Indiana has had a lot of problems with this year is a guy like Arns. And he is not a guy who played much at all prior to five games ago, but now he's played at least 20 minutes in every game. He said at least three threes in three of those games, including six up at Iowa. And you think back to an Indiana loss to Northwestern and Aaron Falzone going off, Gabe Kalsher going off against Minnesota. These wings that are pretty one-dimensional but just can find spots against Indiana's defense and hit threes, Indiana, when they are not fully locked in defensively and the attention to detail and attention to the scouting report isn't there, those guys can get hot for short periods of time and get off a few shots. Wieskamp did it in the first half of the first Iowa game. Now, they clamped down on him after that, but a lot of the damage was done early in the game. And so that, to me, you know, and that, to me, kind of shows how locked in Indiana is defensively. You know, because it seems like when they're not locked in, those kind of guys really go off. When Indiana played defense against Wisconsin, none of those guys got anything. Those shots were all contested. You know, you just didn't see a lot of that. And so that guy, I think he's starting now, too. I don't even think he's coming off the bench anymore. He's a concern for me because I think if Indiana is going to lose this game, it would be because the defense isn't quite as locked in. A guy like that goes off and gets you four, you know, gets them four or five three pointers. He's capable of it. You know, he that that's going to be talked about on the scouting report. But it's just been an issue for this team of carrying that scouting report onto the court, especially the wing defenders, and being focused on it for 40 minutes. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a matter of focus, like you said, where you, you, you just have to know where that guy is at all times. You have to locate him. You have to stay tight to his body. And everyone knows how dangerous a shooter he is. But, you know, I think, I think we've seen this a little bit with Devontae Green recently, actually, where he'll be guarding a shooter and he'll kind of turn his head and maybe make a gamble off the ball that isn't you know, advisable. And all of a sudden his guy will sneak up to the, the, you know, from the corner to the wing, get a wide open three. And, and so you just have to stay locked in. You have to execute the scouting report and just be conscious of those types of guys. And I think, you know, where you see maybe the difference between a first half Joe Wieskamp um, where they weren't locked in an instance where they were, is that first Michigan state game where Matt McQuaid only took four shots. Yep. And, you know, he's one of the best shooters in the Big Ten. That's kind of what he does. He is all about off-ball movement, coming off screens, catching and shooting, spacing the floor. And I thought Al Durham played just a, a brilliant defensive game on him. And I think Al's probably the best guy on the team and just in terms of chasing guys around screens off the ball. You know, I talked about Finnessy being able to go through screens on the ball. I think Al Durham is really good at that away from it, just, you know, slaloming through those three, four, whatever, however amount it is, screens along the baseline, floppy actions, that kind of thing. Um, he is just really, really good at that. So I would expect he probably draws that matchup. But again, you've got to be locked in. You've got to be focused. The attention to detail has to be there. And in some ways, I feel like it almost helps that, that Arns is in the starting lineup because it kind of forces you to pay attention to him. You know, yeah. it's not like, oh, this guy came off the bench and surprised us. We didn't see it coming. Uh, it, it's kind of, well, this guy's starting, so you better know who he is and you better be able to you know, execute the game plan against him slaloming was such a great verb to use there yeah. <laughs> that's, that's so descriptive of what it's like especially like purdue yeah. and they set those little stagger screens and you just see oh, al yeah. like you know almost like pinballing back and forth yeah. around and it, 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 it's it's kind of the same technique too where you have to like get low and get your shoulder around yeah. 
the screen. If I, if I weren't, you know, in this tiny little box on the webcam, I'd be able to do a better demonstration of it. Um, but it is, yeah, kind of the same where you have to like really angle your body and get low. They call it getting skinny in a lot of cases to get over screens. So, yeah. All right, so let me ask you a question, going back to what you uh, said about Rob Finnessy earlier, because he, he is so good defensively. And, and I, wanna, I want you to put your NBA hat on here as you yeah. project him forward. Because, My NBA hat's always on. Uh, well, I know. I know. <laughs> um, you know, he obviously not, not the tallest guy. And, you know, his shooting has not been consistent this year. But he does actually have pretty good explosion when he's around the rim. We've seen that. He's got good instincts. He's a really good defender. And he's, you know, we've always kind of assumed that Rob is a four-year guy. You know, as you look at him and kind of project him to the next level, because he he's a really solid player. Does he project to the next level? Like, is he the kind of guy that could be a you know a three year player and then carve out a role in the NBA? Like, you know, like Yogi had the opportunity to go right. pro after his junior year. You know, came back and then obviously you know improved himself before his senior year. But how do you project Rob even at this early stage to the next level? Yeah, I talked about this with Sam Vecini, uh, maybe. I guess it was like three or four months ago now on that uh, draft prospects podcast I did with him. Yeah. And, you know, he kind of seemed to to be in the boat where he's got to be a three or four year guy. And then, you know, a Yogi Ferrell type of thing where yeah. it wasn't clear that Yogi Ferrell would have an NBA future after he graduated IU, but, you know, he's able to kind of catch on with Dallas eventually go, or I guess he eventually caught uh, first caught on with the Nets and then got cut, went to Dallas and now is doing well in Sacramento and is, is a bona fide NBA backup point guard. Which is a you know for a guy like Rob Finnessy, I think that's a good fate. You know, if if he ends up being, you know, kind of just a solid NBA backup point guard, I think that's really valuable. And you know, you look at the guy, you know, maybe a, a Yogi Fred Van Vliet, Malcolm Brogdon type of role. I don't think he'll be as good as Malcolm Brogdon, but just sort of those. Those guys solid, are bigger, right? It's the solid, steady four year college point guards, and I think that's what Rob has going for him. Is he's already big and strong as a freshman. And he's already really, you know, intellectually and physically solid. You know, he's stable. You're not gonna, you're not gonna bother him, you know, by by taking away, you know, his driving lanes. You're, you're not gonna be able to kind of uh, pressure him and make him nervous over the course of a possession. So I, I think he's he's just, you know, a guy who's not gonna make mistakes. A guy who, if his jumper gets on track and he ends up being around a forty percent three point shooter, the thing that Yogi did so well that separates him maybe from a guy like Finnessy is he could shoot forty percent on pull-up threes you know he could come down the floor come off a screen and roll and fire for three and hit that at a really good rate i don't know if rob will ever get there and if he doesn't then that makes it a little bit more difficult but and then the size obviously doesn't help but i really do think that for nba teams there's value in just having a guy who can run your second unit be solid be steady not get bothered um and especially you know i think i think the the financials come into this into play as well because you know, I don't imagine Rob Finnessy will be a first-round draft pick. And so if you can get a guy like him on a cheap contract, that can give you some pretty good value on that first deal when he's just coming into the league. You can just get a, you know, maybe a, a replacement level or slightly below replacement level player for a really good bargain. Um, so again, we'll have to see. It's tough to project that far forward. Um, but I, I do just like the way that, you know, he projects over the next three years in college. And I think those steady college point guards there's a really good translation rate to being solid backups in the NBA. It's funny, you know, as as his play has 
Well, really, actually, it was since the start of the season. As soon as people saw him play, the comparisons to Yogi started. And, and they're natural. I don't mind talking about him. Like, if you're going to compare, you know, Rob as a freshman to Yogi as a freshman, because they both obviously came ready to play. A couple of things that are interesting. Yogi, his freshman year, shot 30.3% from downtown on 76 yeah. attempts. And part of it, I, I believe he has said this, that you know, came in and, you know, really, you know, worked out. And it's almost like his shot kind of changed because of all the extra muscle that he put on for his next three seasons. He was above 40% every season. And so I would expect, even though Rob's only at 32.9% this year, I would expect that to improve, you know, over his next three years. And it, you know, it kind of strikes me and tell me if you agree with this or not. I kind of feel like freshman Yogi would have been a better fit on this team and freshman Rob would have been a better fit on that team because Rob, even as a freshman turns it over less, you know, is a better defender. And that team didn't really need scoring. They needed more of a distributor. And some of the games that Indiana really struggled in that year, like the Butler game were where Yogi got shot happy, you know, but this year, this team has needed offense, needed some more offensive punch. A freshman Yogi could have taken on a bit more of an offensive role. Whereas in some games, Rob's been a little bit reticent. So you know, it. I mean, look, they're both they're both terrific players as freshmen, and we project them to get better. But it's just kind of interesting, you know, looking at what their strengths were, looking at what their weaknesses are, and how they fit on those teams. And that's not to say Rob doesn't fit on this team, because I think in a lot of ways he's the straw that stirs the drink on this I team. Agree. And you yeah. know, and his defense is so key, and that's where he is far ahead of where Yogi was as a freshman is as a defender. And a lot of the stuff that doesn't show up in the stat sheet, Yogi got there as a senior. He became an outstanding defender, but Rob's already got it, which is what's so impressive about him. Yeah. I I just think the thing that always stands out to me for him is the strength, you know, and in some ways he kind of reminds me of a, a shorter drew holiday where he's able to kind of guard guys who are bigger than him because he's so strong. He's not as long, uh, but he's really pesky and just really disciplined. And it's just really hard to shake him off the dribble or, you know, away from the ball. And, um, you know, he's able to hold up in the post fairly well, even though he doesn't get posted all that much. Um, and, and his, just his ability, you know, sometimes strength doesn't shine through and like, you know, you body someone on the glass and box them out or you hold up in the post. Sometimes it's subtle plays where you're driving, you're driving and all of a sudden you're just, you can't be pushed off your line and then you slip free to the basket on a drive, you know? Yeah, maybe it's being able to drive, lower your shoulder a little bit and knock someone back. Or maybe it's on the other end of the floor when someone tries to do that to you and you don't move. And and those things can happen so quickly that you kind of need that physical strength, just that sturdiness uh, to be able to hold up and to have that, you know, when, when two bodies collide, which body is going to push the other one the farthest. And, and Rob almost always wins that matchup uh, against any point guard that he plays against. And the defense is for a freshman is just so impressive. I was talking about this with one of the other guys on the IU beat at the the Michigan State game. Just oh man, for him it was, to be able it was beautiful to, that game. <laughs> I mean, that disciplined, that sturdy on the defensive end against a great player in Cassius Winston uh, is really, really incredible for his age. <laughs> I laughed, you know, because I, I mean, because we were there in person that game and wat- watching the matchup between those two guys was breathtaking. Oh it was yeah. it was as much fun as I've had watching a one on one battle in basketball. You know, I remember I tweeted about how great his defense was, and people were like, "What?" You know, Cash, look at Cashus Winston's stat line. I'm like, yeah. "Man, Cashus Winston is a great offensive yeah. player, and no, he I can make plays against yeah. amazing defense." And that's what Rob was playing on some of those possessions. I wrote down in my notes at one point, "Fantasy's playing amazing defense, and it doesn't matter because Cashus <laughs> yeah. Winston is just so good." And yeah. then eventually, it did matter at the end yeah. of the game when he was able to stop him on the final play. It did. All right, so Big Ten tournaments coming up. You're going to be there. When yep. you, are you guys getting in tomorrow? Or are you getting in Thursday? I'm uh, leaving tomorrow. I'm going to drive from Atlanta to Bloomington to Chicago. 
and get in on, I guess, whatever time I get in tomorrow night. So it'll be a long one, but that 1130 start on Thursday morning, you know, is just, uh, it threw a wrench into everything. Now, how much are you packing? How many days are you packing for? This is a very important question. Well, I'm, I'm staying in the whole time, no matter what. Okay. So, uh, I will pack for, I guess, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, but if you're asking me if I were an IU fan, how many days I would pack for? Yes, I yes. Would... As no, don't even not even as an IU fan. If you were just going to cover Indiana, okay, and and be as you are, perfectly detached from right. the IU program, not sure. with years of Big Ten tournament disappointment <laughs> weighing you down, and you know, like just packing all of this emotional turmoil into you right now. How long would you be packing for just to watch the Hoosiers? I uh, I would not make my hotel reservation through the weekend. I would probably pack for two games. Okay. So you're not, you want to see them beat Michigan state for the third time before you believe it. If they're lucky enough to get, yeah, to that, I mean, I, I just, in those kinds of matchups, I just think, you know, usually, especially cause the, the first two games have been so close. Usually the better team wins. And, uh, you know, I think Michigan state's the better team. So, mm. but I do think that if, if they, uh, if they beat Ohio state, then that's it. Then that, that's all they need to do to get into the tournament. To make the tournament, yeah, right. And if they if they beat Michigan State, then for sure they're in. No questions about it. If they go farther than that, if they beat, uh, I guess it would be Wisconsin, Purdue, Maryland, someone um, in that third round. Well, then, yeah, I mean that you're talking about a different different story, different team. Um, but I, I would say probably they make it up to Friday and go home Saturday. Yeah, I mean, the, but that's... I would love to see them go as as far as possible. I've I've only covered three Big Ten tournament games in two years, so it, it would be uh, it would be cool to kind of stick around and, and have something to do for those last few days. Agreed. Hey, it's going to happen one of these years. It, <laughs> it would be fitting if it happened this year. Well, hey man, thank you. Hopefully, I mean, almost surely we'll have something to talk about next week because even if Indiana somehow doesn't make the NCAA tournament, they'll have NIT tournament. We can break down what we saw um, in the Big Ten tournament as well. Um, so always appreciate it. Glad we were able to do it this week. Any final thoughts before we close up shop here? Uh, no, I'm just, I'm excited to get up to Chicago. I think, um, you know, one of the, one of the best parts of covering the big 10 tournament is just watching the other games. You know, you don't have to work. You have a great seat. You can just kind of be there and evaluate. I'll, I will be working for, uh, doing a little bit of work for fan sided there. So, um, I will have some obligations, but, but really it is nice to kind of just be around, around the games and kind of be in the arena for uh, some really good matchups. So I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to covering Indiana. And um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think they've got some positive momentum carrying in here. And I, I would say going into this tournament, I expect them to make the NCAA tournament though. At this point, it's. Ooh, Ben, Ben's connection cut out there. So we didn't get to hear what he said there at the end. Oh, I, I said, I said at this point, I would expect them to make the NCAAs, but they still have some work to do to solidify it. Yeah. Um, are you writing the email for the Thursday game or Seth? I think Seth will be on that. We, we should discuss that, but I've had the last two, so I think he'll probably be on that one. Okay. Awesome. Well, hopefully there are four of those to write this weekend. Should be. We've, we've never been able to do the four post-game shows in a row. I'm in waiting row. for that. One of these years, four, <laughs> four days in a row with post-game shows and emails yeah. to do every day. I, I greatly look forward to that lack of sleep. It'll be beautiful. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, everybody, for being here live. Thanks, everybody, listening on the podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the uh, to the email list so that you can get Ben and Seth's work on that. And okay, I think this is officially our last piece of content before Thursday. 
Yes, because we have nothing planned for tomorrow except for Banner Morning, so we'll have that. But other than that, we'll talk to you guys Thursday after IU Ohio State, hopefully a victorious appearance in the Big Ten Tournament. We'll see. We'll talk to you then. Mexico is more than a country. It's a feeling. Wherever you feel Mexican, there is Mexico. Let's celebrate it. Tecate. Mexico is in us. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.